You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Good morning. Welcome to the World Football Program. My name is Hugh Best and joining me today is Sean Kelly and I will... Good morning, Hugh. Um, for those who are listening, um, Hugh's a little bit... <laughs> well, he's got the L plates on, let's just say it that way. He's driving the desk today. <laughs> You're too kind there, Sean. I've got the, uh, I've got the learner's permit just off the, uh, the desk and I've got the... Uh, Driver, help me out here. So <laughs> if things go bang or go silent, please uh, accept my apologies in advance, but uh, I'm doing my best. So, Sean, how have you been? Yeah, very good, mate. Uh, been gardening, hence the headwind. <laughs> um, everyone's staring at me like I've been battered. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was the wife, but I can't. I've got to say it was 11 <laughs> That's the way it goes. So if we had a webcam here, you'd see it. It's a beauty. Yeah. <laughs> so have you been watching any of the... Uh, this football this week apparently there's a couple of tournaments going on I would have thought with the bags under my eyes with the soldier <laughs> I have been I've been up watching the Euros and also the Copper America actually the Copper America is still going and we've both been looking into that it was two all in the the third fourth playoff so um, lots and lots of football out there for those of us who suffer from insomnia it's a wonderful thing oh no Colombia three Peru two well, so there you go. I was going to wear my Columbia shirt today, but I've got the Brazil one on for tomorrow. Now, the good news is uh, Optus Sport have kindly put um, at least the Euro final on free. So all those that aren't Optus subscribers, and we're not uh, giving any brand names any particular plug for any particular reason, but that game will be uh, free for everybody, and I'm hoping that that would also be the case for tomorrow morning's Brazil-Argentina game. You would hope so. Um, yeah, look, it's a great move by them. Um, 
very magnanimous move by the company to do that. Um, and look, it means everyone can enjoy the game, even if you have to get up very, very early on a work morning. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, um, I'm guessing the, without having the, I'm multitasking here at the moment, people, yeah. so that's why you'll find me short of words for a few uh, times during this show. I believe the um, Copper America finals are an 8 a.m. start tomorrow morning. So yeah, that, that'd that's, be a, easy. that's a great time. Cup of coffee and uh, some really good football with uh, Neymar and Messi. Messi becoming, uh, or hopes to be getting the golden boot. Well, he's got four goals and five assists. Yeah, he's pretty good, though. He's a special man. Yeah, and he's uh, in the running for the Ballon d'Or again. They're claiming he, that uh, this particular game could decide whether he gets his six. Is it his sixth or his tenth? He's, oh, yeah. Look, he's had a few. <laughs> he, he's had one or two. And, and Ronnie's not too bad either. So the the pair of them in contention. Um, yeah, there's yeah. some other people there. That yeah, Harry Kane's one. They uh, they did a top ten and Harry Kane was in the in the top four. There was three English players with Raheem Sterling in there as well. I'm thinking, oh, really? I saw a wonderful picture yesterday on Facebook. It was um, two players in the David Beckham Academy and it was Harry Kane and a young lady that was there. They were both, what, 11 or something. And uh, <clears throat> David Beckham was launching his academy. Right. Go, go forward 15 years. Harry Kane's the captain of the England team. And the young lady is, is um, Harry's wife. Or Kane's, uh, yeah, Kane's wife. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Small world. Absolutely. No, look, I thought it was a, a touching story. I mean, it's great to see that. You've got um, David Beckham's Academy there producing another England captain. Um, but not only that, the, the lifelong associations and he's got the married the young girl that was in the picture with him. So, yep. terrific job. No, again, uh, with, um, with the Euros in mind, that uh, the Germans have always been keen for the English Academy system and uh, particularly after the 2-0 the loss, they've, um, they've really started to put the microscope onto the... Uh, the academy system in England. I mean, that's why Sancho and uh, and a few of the other young lads uh, who have come through that system are now playing in Germany in the Bundesliga. Absolutely. And you look at teams like West Ham, Southampton, they've got great academies um, yep. and develops you know, a lot of great players. And you know, there's lots of others around now and they're, they're all doing the same or similar. And, yeah, look, it, it's... Uh, I think... That, Different countries do it different ways. Um, Portugal, they have everybody trained up to um, a very good standard as a coach, and there's everywhere you go, there's like level three coaches everywhere, yep. um, and it seems to have paid dividends in for there. Spain's fairly similar. Yes, England's got the academy system where they take the elite and then they develop them. It seems to work for them. Um, yeah, look, it's. No one's got the right answer. We've got the NPL. <laughs> That's right. So on today's show, we have uh, Football Operations Manager at Perth Glory, Terry McFlynn. He will be our first guest. We've got Derek Pollock to talk all things EPL, and there's been a fair few managerial changes there, so we'll talk about that and uh, obviously the team chances and whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be the first one to be sacked again <laughs> for the third year in a row. We uh, After the, the 11 o'clock break, we'll have Matthew Cheeseman, Everybody's second favourite referee, uh, behind me, obviously. <laughs> uh, he is now the general uh, manager of referees operations at the FA, not England, the Football Australia. Mm. And lastly, we'll have Tommy Dolman talking all things NPL men's and women's. So a big, big show for today. Uh, we have just had confirmation. Ter uh, Terry's 
ready for us. So okay. we will jump into you'll a, need, a you'll break. You need to put some ads up, mate. I'll see I'll about talk trying about to put thing. some ads up. You yeah, no, look, look, I was, um, so, again, on, on the internet yesterday, the rumours are that uh, the deal's done on Castro. Um, you'll need to clear all there, mate, first. I've got to clear all those? Yeah, you got to clear the one up top there. Oh, um, <laughs> the deal's done on, on Castro. Um, we're just waiting to sign uh, for the club to announce it formally. But um, it's quite interesting. It said a lot of fans would like to see him go. I'd like to know who they were because um, the man is still a very, very good footballer. Um, and at 35, even if he's not going to be doing the entire game, his influence out there is, um, is very much needed. Oh, exactly. And the other uh, interesting thing I thought uh, when we were talking about the Ballon d'Or is that they actually list Lionel Messi as a free agent. So it'd be interesting to see whether he's going to be staying at Barcelona after all the hoo-ha that um, occurred uh, last year or who can afford his wages. Oh, look, I think anyone would make his, his wages available. Um, if, if he was available, I think he's totally enmeshed in, in Barcelona. They, they won't do anything differently. Um, and they'll do whatever it takes to keep him. They've, they've sacked managers before to keep him. Right, OK, so I've just, uh, <laughs> just got a few things up there and I will now... Let's yeah, all you could do is hit play, mate. Press that. Yeah. I'm Miranda Templeman, goalkeeper for the Junior Matildas. Join me and local women's football expert Penny Tanahoe as we share our news and journey through the football calendar with the best guests from your local community and all across Australia. You're listening to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle. sessions and my parents realised I could kick a ball so signed me up straight away. I guess my lifestyle, I get to travel the world at such a young age and some of my friends have not even been out of Australia so I guess in that way my life's different. I think being around my teammates so much has sort of changed my friendship group. I mean, back when I was younger, I was always best mates with my schoolmates, but now it's turned into my teammates because I'm seeing them every day and training them every day, so I think that's sort of changed. 
I probably surf as much as I train um, with the soccer ball, which most people don't know. My motivation to train is probably going to see my friends and just kicking the ball with them. The best feeling in the world, I mean, that's all. Winning is what we aspire to do and just once you achieve that, it's just this massive self um, sense of accomplishment, I guess. Football is my life. Okay, and welcome back to 107.9 Radio Fremantle, the World Football Program. Joining me in the studio, obviously, Sean Kelly, and we have Terry McFlynn on the line. Terry, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good morning. How are you, boys? I am, as I said, Terry, sweating bullets, so I'm glad that you can hear us, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Terry, it's um, a pleasure to have you over here in the West, one question I'd like to ask you off the, the uh, bat is, can you tell us your role at the Glory and what it means to you? Yeah, look, my role's a uh, football operations manager. Um, obviously, just supporting Richard Garcia and the coaching staff um, with anything uh, non-coaching related um, with the team. Um, obviously, travel, logistics, um, recruitment, um, and just a, a, another layer of support for the coaching team. Wow, so uh, not a uh, small role then, obviously. So the, with the travel side of things with COVID, how has that made your job, um, well, it wouldn't have made it any easier, would it? <laughs> no, look, this season, um, uh, I think the, the most used word in around the football club <laughs> this year was flexible. Flexible, um, you yes. know, it, it was a very difficult uh, time for, for all the football codes, um, especially for us over here in the West, obviously logistically to try and move 30, 40, 50 people around the country um, at the drop of a hat um, uh, isn't, isn't an easy task at the best of times. But um, obviously the, the schedule was changing week to week, day to day, um, as borders opened and closed and logistics and uh, restrictions was imposed across the state. But um, we're very fortunate that you know we've got a really uh, good group of staff. We've got a really good group of players that... As I say, we're very flexible. Um, we're very understanding of the situation at hand, and and for us, the main thing was it was the continuity of trying to keep keep on the uh, momentum going when we were playing games. Um, I think you saw that towards the back end of the season, we we played a lot of our games uh, away from home early part of the season, um, which meant we had a big chunk of games back here at HBF Park. And other seven games, you know, we won six of them, so and drew one, so. Um, yeah, it was a uh, logistics and the travel was a challenge this year, but as I said, we're a good group of people that, that got the job done in the end. Terry, do you have much to do with the Perth Glory Professional Development Camp? The GDC? GDC, yeah. Yeah, so we've got a. Obviously, the GDC leads into the pre academy. Um, the pre academy leads into the academy, which then feeds into the first team. So we've got a real clear um, pathway now for all kids um, across Perth the pathway into the A-League squad. Um, we've also got the Perth Glory Academy schools um, now, which obviously extends beyond the football club as well in, into schools and, and trying to provide an opportunity for uh, other kids that aren't in the, the pathway as such and trying to widen that net a little bit. Mm, now, you say all kids. Um, Penny would, would kill me if I didn't ask. Does that, <laughs> does that include girls? Yes. Um, so at the minute, all our uh, Perth Glory Academy schools, we've got a really good mixture of uh, both boys and girls um, and obviously I think down the track having someone like Sam Kerr who's one of the greatest female footballers in, in the world um, coming from Perth I think it would only be the right thing for us to do at some point is look at a uh, female academy down the track 
Yeah, look, you look at the current uh, Matilda squad, we've got two West Aussies in there, but, um, you know, it'd be nice to see a few more in, in a few years' time. I know we've got um, a couple of them in the young Matildas. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good to see that the youth is coming through, but the, the, the women's football is really the growth area. And if you're looking at going forward for professional contracts and the, the options as a business of selling those contracts to Europe, that's really where the, the, the growth market is. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, I think you saw what what Alex Epakis, um, RW League yep. coach, did last season. Um, it was a very challenging period for the, the RW League squad last season. Oh, look, last, um, last season was horrible. No pre-season, no lead-in, um, no time to get players. Players who were uncertain had left. Um, this year yep. round, you, you know, as soon as the season had finished, you're already starting to sign players, which is, you know, is, I know it's not just Alex, it, it's you and it's... Uh, it's a page as well, so that everybody's involved in that. And I think, you know, the professionalisation of the women's sport is, is a very important uh, part of our game. Yeah, and I think that a lot of them young girls that, that played last season, um, they'll be all the better for it this year. As you said, we had no real pre-season. We didn't actually even know if we were going to have a W League team. Mm. Um, four or five weeks out from the season, the borders was closed, obviously. The girls work, some of them go to school, so the, the idea of actually hobbing in the eastern states was never never feasible for us as a, as a business. Um, so when the borders open and then we, we could get a home and away season up and running, um, like you say, a lot of them younger girls that potentially might not have got as many games had we a stronger squad, um, they played a lot of the games last season, so they'll be better for it this season, the team will be better for it, and as you say, in the long run, the club will be better off for it as well. Mm, absolutely. Now, uh, how many boys do you have playing in the, the, the MPL setup at the moment? Uh, so we have our, obviously our own MPL team. Yeah. Um, we're down at Co- Coburn today. Um, the boys have been on a good run the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Um, we beat Florian, who were top of the league, uh, a couple mm. of weeks ago, and then we had a, a, a good win last week as well. Um, so, yeah, the boys have been uh, doing really well. Um, out of that, the group that trained with the A-League last season, I think there's probably four or five that have dropped down and continued to play through the MPL. They will need a little break at some point, obviously with the A-League squad yeah. coming back into training on the 19th of July. Um, those boys will get a little bit of a break and then we'll get the group together and start preparing for the A-League. Terry, does your role also involve the um, the transfers of players in and out of the Perth Glory? Yep, yes. I, um, in conjunction with obviously Richard Garcia, the, the head coach, and Tony Pinata, the CEO, um, we work together in bringing players in and out of the club, yeah. Do you have um, any breaking news on, on who, apart from Brandon, might be coming to the glory this uh, the upcoming season? No, not, not at this stage. <laughs> we, um, I thought I'd ask. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we're in, we're in negotiations with two or three other players and um, obviously it'll be wrong to um, publicise them at this point when there's yeah. nothing really to, to speak mm-hmm. about. But look, it's an ongoing thing um, and... We've got plenty of time. Um, the league starts on the 30th of October. The boys are in on the 19th of July to start training. We do have our FFA Cup game on the 7th or 8th of, of August against Melbourne Victory, but um, at the minute, the boss is content with where the squad's at. We will add two or three more players um, as we get closer to the, to the season and strengthen where we feel we need to be strengthened. Um, but again, we've got a lot of really good young West Australian uh, boys coming through the youth team, which I think you've seen last season. Daniel Steins, Callum Timmins, Luke Bodner, Kieran Bramwell. Um, these young West Australian boys that was playing for in the youth team, 
Um, and Richie Garcia, obviously being a Western Australia boy himself, mm. giving these kids an opportunity and a chance. And it's something that we really want to do. Um, we really want to get the Western Australia public behind the team and behind the glory again. Um, and give them a familiarity with the, with the players on the park. Yeah, look, it's great to see. When, when Kilkenny um, was let go, I thought, oh, who are we going to replace him with? And then Brandon Wilson's name comes up, and you go, perfect replacement. Um, the only thing is that you, we also see there's an, an exodus of players, and you know, some of those players, um, from a, a fan's perspective, um, you know, like Dane Ingham and those, you think, oh, maybe they could have kept them. Riley Warland, another local boy, is gone. Um, you know, it's I, I'm I'm sort of cut between the two. I don't know how you feel as as a professional player um, yourself. How you would feel with the the short term contracts we seem to have in the A League in general, not just the Glory. Lots of teams are doing it. They'll have a player for for twelve months and they're gone, um, and it doesn't give a player any any longevity or any sort of hope that they're going to stay on. Um, do you think that's a, a good system or a poor system? Yeah, look, I think that's, that's the nature of um, sport, the nature of football, um, and players will always make their own decisions. Riley was, was a, again, a young Western Australia player that we wanted to keep. We made Riley an offer to stay. Um, he felt that his future was, was better served in Newcastle and he wanted to get away from... Uh, Western Australia, uh, which is which is his program, his decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Ingham, um, again, he's gone to Newcastle, um, so I think that the coach over there is building a very young squad, yeah. um, and he wants to build for the future. In terms of the contracts, I think if you look at, you know, we signed Brandon O'Neill on a three-year contract. The minimum contracts we're handing out at the minute are two years, because um, we want to build something. Um, mm-hmm. And as you said, you, you, you can't build anything sustainable on a 12-month rolling basis. Um, you have to lay the foundation to start building. Yeah. But putting the blocks in place for something that's going to last the test of time. And you know, that's what we want to do. Um, we want to build a, a team for the future. We want to build the club uh, for sustained success. And on, um, on transfer markets, how important do you think it would be for us to have uh, a transfer market within uh, Australia, where you know, as a as a one of the better academies, you could develop good players who you know go to Newcastle, other areas, but they're not walking away from you for nothing. You're getting something yeah. back for their for their development. Yeah, look, I think that's a um, a very poignant point and a very relevant point at the minute. Um, you know, the FA released early in the season their their white paper on the domestic transfer system um, and how that's going to be implemented over the next eighteen months. Um, so I think you're right uh, to try and protect your assets. Um, you know, we, we do invest a lot of money into the academy. Um, we're seeing uh, a lot of uh, fruits of that starting to bear now with the likes of Steins and Timmins and Bodner, um, Bramwell, Coley, um, playing in the first team this season. Um, but again, not all of them is going to play for Perth Glory. So our, our job in all of this is to try and create professional footballers um, that can play their trade somewhere um, and again like any business when you when you have a, an investment you like to see a return on that investment and um, yeah I think the, the sooner we can get a, an agreed upon transfer yeah. system between domestic clubs um, within Australia then it's only fair and equitable for everyone. But even so the, the, the NPL clubs and, and state league clubs that are developing players I mean Collie wasn't um, a junior with Perth Glory, he was a junior and a, a youth player at uh, Basie, so you know yeah. it would have been nice to see them get something for his development. And I think that's you know the whole part of the the transfer system is it actually benefits grassroots because these kids all started off playing somewhere before they went to one of the big clubs. Yeah, and so as it currently stands at the minute, 
Um, you know, when a player signs a, a first professional contract, if it's come from an NPL club, uh, that NPL club gets ten thousand um, dollars. Now I don't know why it's capped at ten thousand dollars because every other uh, training compensation mechanism is based on the number of years you spend at the club, um, and also relevant to the the level of club in which you sign your first professional contract. So I think that's something that that also has to be looked at. Um, and again, all clubs need to be treated fairly um, and remunerated. Uh, uh, adequately uh, in the development of the player who's moved on from their club. Yep, absolutely. Um, now, also, also with COVID going on, we've, we've had a lot of games been postponed, cancelled and other things. Um, a lot of work's been done around the, the world on, on the mental health of players, um, particularly in the elite streams when you, you know, we say we're, we're trying to build professional players, but the harsh reality is only a very, very small percentage will ever be a professional footballer. How do you prepare them? Because there's a lot of expectations for these kids that they're going to be the next Messi. Yeah, look, that's something that in our uh, coaching uh, curriculum at Birth Club, we've got technical, tactical, physical and mental as the four pillars of our uh, coaching curriculum. The mental side of the game is, is twofold. Um, it's one, having the mental preparedness for performance, uh, but also dealing with uh, setbacks, dealing with injuries, um, you know, being dropped. Um, so building resilience um, and actually bringing a lot of realism to the conversation. So again, uh, to use your point about a lot of kids want to be the next Messi. The reality is, you know, there's no one from Australia is going to be the next Messi. So it's actually setting realistic targets, setting realistic goals, um, and achievable outcomes for for the individuals, um, and then helping them achieve them um, and building that resilience. That if they don't achieve them for whatever reason, um, then they can deal with it. Um, so we, we do do a lot of things that are around the mental health. The PFA are big support um, for us. You know, Robbie Gasper's in two, three days a week at the football club, um, and he provides an enormous amount of support for our players on the mental health and well-being um, of all the athletes. Yeah, and I suppose with with that we're doing media training because obviously this sort of thing doesn't just happen um, unless you hear. But um, you know. People are trained and, and prepared how to talk to media? Yeah, so again, that was another um, external course that we ran this season for the players um, on media training, um, in particular the younger players. Um, obviously, they, they're stepping into a professional environment for the first time. Um, things like radio interviews, television interviews, print interviews, um, it was all new to them. Um, and in, in the world and society we live in today where everything's instant, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, it's Instagram. Yeah, um, We need to prepare the, the players for that. And, and again, with the help of Robbie and the PFA, we run a two-day workshop on media training, um, elocution lessons. Um, so it was, it's, it's trying to create an all-round individual, not just a football player. Um, because again, yeah. as a football club, we've got a, a responsibility and a social responsibility to these young men to prepare them for life not just on, on the pitch, but also off the park. And I suppose with, with modern young men and what's going on now, you've already mentioned some of the, the platforms that are around. Uh, we see footballers all over the world getting into trouble for tweets and TikToks that they've made, you know, in the last year or even when they were like 14, 15, before they became a professional footballer. Um, so you do a lot of work about the, the social media. don't see too many... Um, posts or and certainly no negative comments about posts from from anyone within the glory camp yeah look again that's another education piece um, John in around it um, 
if you're not prepared to say it to someone's face, then don't put it on a uh, in a tweet or in a message. Um, and that's as, as simple as it was. If and if someone's prepared to say it um, and they feel that strongly about it and they want it made, made known and that's their beliefs, then we can't stop that either. But for us, it's it's more about protecting the individual first and foremost. Yeah. Um, because as you say, something like this stays around forever. It comes back 10, 15 years later. Um, but ultimately, again, it's protecting the club and protecting the brand. Um, it's not the type of yeah. image that we want or we need. Um, you know, we quietly go about our business behind the scenes and um, you know, our performances are played out in the public eye in terms of 90 minutes on the weekend. All the hard work that goes in from Monday to Friday isn't seen and we don't believe that you know, people need to air the dirty laundry in, in public. No. Uh, so and yeah, and you've got some, some really good role models there. I, I followed Tony Pinata on his um, Twitter page and there's been a couple of times when he, he's had trolls and other people um, baiting him and he deals with, with such such a plum um, that you, you think the man's just class. Um, and it's in that area, it's so easy to get sucked into making a stupid comment, but he, he never does. Yeah, you know, Tony's a very, very experienced uh, and and user of social media. I think it's, it's also helpful for for us as a staff and helpful for our players as well that the CEO is accessible on, on Twitter. Mm. Um, you know, I think some of the issues, again, around this season with COVID, Tony's been very open, very accessible um, through various uh, different social media platforms to appease supporters and, and put their minds at rest in terms of the direction of the club, in terms of the direction of COVID issues, fixtures, scheduling, etc., um, so yeah, again, I think if us as staff and us as players, if, if we see the CEO um, conducting in that manner, then obviously we follow suit. So you're right, it is a, is a very strong role model for everyone in the club. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, that's been unbelievable to get that insight into the Perth glory, uh, Terry. We really do thank you for your time and we thank Perth glory for uh, allowing you to be able to talk to us t- this morning. And... Um, we look forward to speaking October. to you. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you once no again. No problem at all. Thanks, Terry. Really do appreciate it. Thank you, Terry. No problem. Thanks for your time, fellas. Have a good weekend. You, you too. too Ta da. Bye bye. All right. Um, that was Terry. Yep, you still. Fun. All right, so there are some fixtures out there today. Um, we've got the second division um, in the State League playing today. So we have uh, Kelmscott playing Curtin. We have Shamrock playing Dianella. We have Joondalup City against Canning. Balga play Windmills. Gosnells are host to Wanneroo. And Kingsley Westside are playing Mum. Um, the division table there is um, Dianella on top at 37, Kingsley Westside with 25, Wanneroo with 25, Gosnells with 20, um, and then everybody else is pretty much log jammed between 12 and 16 points with Kelmscott. Did you say Dianella on 37 points? So they're 12 points clear of the table? They are. They're well clear, yeah. Jeez, I, I knew they were having a good season. I didn't think 12 points. That's, that's a big yeah, gap. That's a huge gap. It's theirs to lose. All right, well, we're going to go to a, uh, a break and I will see if I can organise the next guest, which will be Derek Pollock, who will talk to us all things EPL. So, again, if things go blank, you can blame Huey. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're listening to the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. <laughs> G'day. 
I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the World Football Team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. People can't hide their passion. Don't hide yours. Join our team. Not too long to go now. We aren't just the people who mow your lawn. We aren't just the people who paint your houses. We aren't just office workers. Or taxi drivers. Or even the family next door. Underneath it all, we are fans. No matter when, no matter where. We'll be there. Time to let your inner fan out. No guts, no glory. Tune in every Saturday morning to the World Football Program. We bring you all the local and national football news for the week. Catch us from 10am to 12. You're listening to 107.9 FM, Radio Fremantle. The World Football Program archives until the following week on RadioFremantle.com. You can connect with us via Facebook... Or text us on 0408 921 832. 0408 921 832. Thanks for tuning in to the World Football Program. Yes, indeed. Thanks for tuning in to the World Football Program. So Penny's told the whole world that they can hear me for the rest of eternity. That's, that's a frightening thought. Yeah, no, you, your voice has floated out there into the ether already. <laughs> Um, and somewhere on a planet, there are people going, wow. <laughs> so you've got is some that the cable guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've got some more fixtures for us there, uh, Sean. Yes, I certainly do. We have today in the State League Division 1, Forestfield are at home at Crazy Domain Stadium to Ashfield. Junior Lop United will play Frio. Masseys are at home to Quinns. That's a big game for both clubs. Oh, yeah. Subiaco are at home to the Knights. Swan are at uh, Francis Street Reserve to play Mandra. And UWA will be at home playing Olympic. Masseys are on top. They have 34 points. Uh, Knights are at 24. So there's a 10-point gap there in that league. Wow. Uh, Quinns are also on 24, but they've got a game in hand. So it could that could be 27 and that makes today's game even more important. Oh, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, June lap of 20, then it gets to a bit of a logjam. 
Um, but down the bottom, we've got uh, Kingsway on 14, Ashfield on 10, Swan on 8, and Forestfield on 7. But both Ashfield and, and Swan have a game in hand, and Forrier two games behind. So uh, all to play for in that league still. Yes, it is. And we have on the line Derek Pollock. Derek, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Good morning. Fantastic. That, that's can two you hear for two. Me <laughs> <laughs> that's two for two. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you very well. How are you guys? Yeah, good, mate. So, Derek, it's been a, uh, a rip-roaring off-season for the EPL. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's been, it's been a very interesting off-season, actually, because you know, a lot of players are at the Euros and they're making a name for themselves, but a lot of players, I mean, a lot of managers, sorry, are also... Um, yeah, not getting much of an off season. No, um, not getting much of an off season rather um, to, to prepare. And there's a lot of a lot of new managers in in the league this season. Mm. So new managers, um, who are we talking about, and which clubs are they at? So um, there's been some fairly high profile departures. Uh, Jose Mourinho um, left Tottenham at a time when it looked as though it would have been pretty straightforward for Tottenham to. Well, it looked like they'd got rid of him in order to very quickly appoint someone else. Yes. Um, only for every person they were linked with, <laughs> and not even spoke to, but just linked with, found themselves very quickly getting another job or finding a contract extension. I heard um, Andy Cogley uh, was in the line for that one as well, wasn't he? They were going everywhere. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah, I mean, I was almost in line for that one. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the point that we're getting to. Uh, and then they, it looked like they'd settled on uh, Balof and Serka, which would have been... Just, uh, yeah, an absolutely fascinating choice, given that they sacked Mourinho, who went to Roma to um, replace Paolo Fonseca in Roma. So Paolo Fonseca had then replaced Mourinho in Tottenham. Um, that would have been a, a good little game of sauces going on. But, uh, but he ended up having a few issues with his contract and who was going to pay the tax. Was he paying the tax? Was Tottenham paying the tax? Was nobody paying the tax? Lionel Messi wrote. Um, and it, it, um, yeah, so he ended up not, not happening there. And so they ended up with um, Nuno Espirito Santo. Which I think is a, is a good uh, a good fit for him. I mean, he did quite well at Wolves. Um, and, you know, anything that makes Wolves a, a lesser team is always uh, right up there in my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he did do quite well at Wolves. I think he got a lot of... Um, there was that unfair criticism last season when when Wolves did pretty poorly because um, and you know he was getting copying a lot of the blame for that but they had just a ridiculous injury um, injury uh, list and they had you know like um, Raul Jimenez was getting got injured for the entire season and they had all these key players out for extensive periods of time and so you know I think he was really working for most of the season with one and a half arms tied behind his back and then added to that. They had, I think, the longest season in footballing history last season with the COVID pandemic. They ended up having a, a season that went for literally a year and a, and a day or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, well, we were talking about Lionel Messi earlier. He, he's a free agent as of um, now. Do you see him making his way to the EPL? You know, obviously his wages are going to be very prohibitive to most of the clubs in that uh, in that division. But uh, Man City, they've got a an endless supply of oil rich dollars, uh, particularly as Messi likes to be paid in US dollars available. Do you think he can find his way to there? Four hundred and thirty million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think. Well. I think the thing. The thing Man City would probably have going for them if they if they did decide to go down that route is. 
Um, Messi has said publicly that he wanted, he, he doesn't mind playing or he would like to have a go playing in the US. And um, Man City obviously have New York City as part of their sort of stable of clubs. Uh, and so, you know, you could sign a five-year deal, three years in England and two years in America or, or vice versa. So they've definitely got that going for them. I think, um, I don't think it's, um, a lot of people just seem to suggest it's just putting dotting the I's and crossing the T's for him to sign a new contract with Barcelona, but I don't think it's that straightforward. Um, Barcelona are in, I mean, I don't want to say catastrophic financial issues, but I mean, it's not far off that, where they signed about four free agents this off-season already, and at this point in time, I mean, I know we're a long way from the first kick of the ball, but at this point in time, they can't play them because they're not allowed to register them because they have too much, too much debt. Too much debt? The surgery... So Memphis Depay has agreed a deal um, to go to Barcelona on, on a free from Lyon, right. and he has already had to agree another deal with a pay cut um, in order to try and get in. Because Barcelona have, yeah, they have, I mean, ridiculous amounts of debt. They still owe, they still owe Atletico, money, um, Atletico Madrid money from Anton Griezmann, who they signed a couple of years ago. I think they still owe Liverpool about 40 million euro from Coutinho. At one point, there was a rumour... Again, I don't know the, the veracity of the rumour, but allegedly Barcelona said to Liverpool, look, do you just want Gustavo back and just forget what we owe you? Yeah, yeah, no, they still owe West Bromwich Albion money for uh, Louis Barry. They they basically poached him, had him sit in, uh, in their academy, which is great for him, for, for eight months, and then sold him on to Aston Villa for, for $1.5 It's like, well, hang on, you didn't give us any money for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, they've... Um, La Liga, despite what it seems, they do have a salary cap, which is the percentage of income um, and percentage of debt, and, and it's a very complicated formula. But, um, but at, the po- at this point in time, Barcelona are, are well and truly in excess of the salary cap, and so they have to try and sell a lot of players quickly if, between now and the start of the season in order to try and um, get under the salary cap and be able to play the players that they've registered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, last season, they had the single biggest wage bill in all team sport worldwide. Wow. Mm. So the question so, is, will, yeah. will Harry Kane be playing at Tottenham next year or is, or is he going? Well, it's a good question because if it, it, it look, looks back to the um, the signing of Espirito Santo, and I mean, if I was Harry Kane, I'm going to be 100% honest, if I was Harry Kane, I would, I would already have my bags packed and be out the door because he has stayed at that club for so long when he could have been earning more money, vastly more money elsewhere, winning more things elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, and um, and he stuck around at the club. Good on him. Like I, I value that sort of loyalty. He stuck around at the club because they kept selling him on this project that they had with Mauricio Pochettino, and um, and like, look, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing that, we're doing that, and it's all going to be good, and then we're going to win. And so he's gone. Okay, I'll give the club the benefit of the doubt because you know I've come through the club. Um, and then they sack Pochettino at the first sign of trouble when they didn't give him a new signing in 18 months, and then they say, look, I know you like this project, but what we're going to do, bear with me, is just burn the whole thing to the ground and sign Jose Mourinho. Uh, we're going to play something totally different. Mm. And then, you know, Jose Mourinho, where he you know, brings toxic football to the entire North London for, what is it, two years, a year and a half, he's gone, you know, how do you then sell Harry Kane on this idea of we've got a project and we're going to win things when we've actually gone backwards in the last two years? Yeah, and... So I think Harry Kane's out the door. Well, Tottenham will put a, a big price tag on him, £100 million. Um, but 
even City are bulking at that price. And I suppose the, the, the thing for Tottenham is what happens if Harry doesn't go? How involved, how uh, enthused will he be with the with a project he doesn't believe in? Well, this is, I guess, the the sort of the bluffing game that CEOs have to play all, all, all day long. Uh, yeah, so they put the, uh, the 100 million price tag on him. And, I mean, in, in Tottenham's uh, favour... You know, Harry Kane, like, I know he, he might say he wants to leave, but he didn't have to sign a six-year deal a couple of years ago. No. So he's got, I think he's got three three years left on the deal. Um, so he's, you know, he's got no leverage in that regard. It's not like a lot of, it's not like Arsenal where half the team are at the, out of contract at the end of the season and can go, well, you know, get me out of here or I go for free. Um, you know, they, they, he, they don't have any, he doesn't have any leverage in that way. Um, and I get why clubs would be sort of, a bit put off by that price tag because he's played a lot of football um, and he's started to get injuries this last season and he's about 29, kind of, you know, turning 30 soon. So he's not as young as you know, you'd know you want a player for that price to be. Yeah, yeah. that's true enough. But, um, you know, how much would you pay for Messi? He's uh, pushing 35 now. I mean, you know, the, the age is definitely, you know, it's a, a factor to be put into it, but what are you getting for that money? Um I, I, yeah, Messi, Messi style of football, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> very conducive to longevity. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do anything, yeah, and no, then I'm going to score a goal. I know. Co- comparing Kane with, with Messi is like comparing tomatoes with, uh, a, you know, a BMW or something. You know, they're they're yeah. completely different. <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I, but I can see why Man City would want Kane, because he is definitely 100% Guardiola's type yeah. of player, where he, you know, he, he can drop off. He can link up play. He can then get on the end of um, crosses, and he can, you know, score the goals. He can make the goals. I think he was Tottenham's both goal-scoring leader and assist leader wow. last season, mm. which says a lot about him. But he's also a really intelligent player, and he's and he's quite good with his feet. So that he's good at the, the, the build-up play. So that's definitely um, definitely a Guardiola type player there. But again, you know, do they want to spend a hundred million yeah. on a player of that age when they could probably spend something similar and sign Erling Haaland, um, who's twenty-one? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and get, you know, another well. decade out of him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like they don't have a striker either. You know, they've got Jesus and, and Torres, so they've got players. Yeah, um, you know. yeah, and um, you know, Pep did like the entire second half of last season without a striker. So yeah. you know, it can be done. Yeah. So. The burning question on everyone's lips, and we discussed this off air. Uh, so, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, favourite to be sacked for the third year running? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no. I think I think this season it's got to be Vieira as the, the favourite because he's another new manager that's come in. Yep. Um, and and Crystal Palace. I mean, uh, you know, you can see this going one of two ways. Either Vieira comes in and absolutely hits it out of the park and does a really good job, or the tinderbox that's ready to be lit gets lit. Yeah. Um, you know, so Crystal Palace have stayed up, um, not as comfortable, well, I mean, more comfortably than they would suggest by looking at their players mm-hmm. and looking at how they play. And did a lot of, you know, like, let's get one more goal in the opposition and then just hunker down and just don't let anything happen again, which, you know, that, that strategy can go very wrong very quickly if you don't work on it. Yeah. Um, and so the new managers come in, so there's, there's already an alarm bell for that style of play, is getting a new manager. Um, and I think 12 of their first-name players We're contract, um, have had yeah. contracts yeah. ending at the, end, at the end of the season, not just been. So they've got to basically assemble an entire new squad with almost no money yeah. um, with a new manager. So well, that definitely has the potential to be an early 
an early sacking. Yeah, mm. but, I mean, the good news is he's not entirely uh, untested. I mean, he had uh, a fairly reasonable CV at uh, uh, in the MLS. So, you know, it's not like it's a, a superstar World Cup winner or can I have a go at management. He's he's actually done his uh, his homework and done his groundwork to get to this position. Yeah, he did. And then he had a good start at Nice as well. And then yeah. that sort of Look. fell away pretty quickly. But, if you know, if we look at... French you know, previous managerial appointments yeah. <laughs> at Crystal Palace. Um, you know, they had Frank de Boer, who won a treble with Ajax. Yeah. Um, and he came in, and then four games in, he got sacked. I mean, like, yes, they hadn't scored a goal in four games and hadn't won a game in four games. They lost all of them. However, um, you know, they were very close to scoring a number of times. And if you look at um, after he went, Crystal Palace didn't win another game. Mm-hmm. Um um, that where um, Zaha didn't start for I think a year yeah. where the only time they ever won was when Zaha was playing and Zaha was injured in, in the first 10 minutes of the first game for Frank the Boss. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you know, I think he was so Steve Parrish has got a bit of a history of pulling the trigger pretty quickly on managers yeah, it's, it's uh, not going well it's the old conundrum is it is it the sheep that's the problem or is it the shepherd that's the problem yeah, exactly, exactly. And so yeah, we'll find the answer to that pretty quickly. So who else is new to the EPL in the managerial seat? Um, there's another couple, isn't there? Well, I mean, we've got, um, the new, we've got the new teams coming up. So we've got, you know, Watford coming up, Norwich coming up again, and um, Brentford coming up. So, you know, we've got new new managers coming into the league in that way. Um um, that that'll be interesting. Uh, a few teams do have a pretty tough start. I think Crystal Palace have Chelsea, Liverpool, West Ham, and someone else in the first five games. Uh, yeah, which which would be difficult. But it's also um, not so much, I guess, all about new managers as well, as much as it is about how current managers are going to exist with the um, the existing setup. Because Arsenal are very much a season in transition at the moment, whether they're not in any European competition, thankfully for them, um, but they have a lot of players who have 18 months left on the contract yeah. that are saying, I'm not signing another one, yeah. get rid of me. Mm. And so how are they going to transition that across to, um, yeah, to, to, to rebuilding that squad? Yeah, and that's going to be an issue for them because do we still put Arsenal in the top six? Uh, you know, I, I mean, we everybody who's an Arsenal fan will dispute this to the, to the cows come home. I mean, they're a big club, but are they one of the biggest clubs in the EPL anymore. I mean, they've got a huge uh, yeah, I mean, bill, and without that uh, European money coming in, h- how are they going to fund that? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely see um, if, if they manage to win that last game and get into the Europa mm. Conference League, then I'd say they're definitely not a top six team. But given they only, they're only going to have the Premier League to worry about this season, I'd say they probably will be top six because they're going to have enough time between games just to make sure that everything is firing for that one game a week that is important and just kind of put the juniors in the cup, put the juniors in the FA Cup, the League Cup, things like that, and just make sure that everything's focused just on this one game a week. So, um, so yeah, I think they'll sneak into the top six um, as a result of that. So there you go, people. Get, but, um, get down to your local bookie and uh, and sink a lazy 20 on Arsenal to win the EPL. Yeah, oh, not a betting man. The question about new managers, though, um, Benitez, I think, is probably the biggest one coming into Everton. Yep. 
Um, I mean, I don't know if you saw the bed sheet in Liverpool that someone decided to write a sign on where it says, Rafa, don't sign, we know where you live. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, let's say it hasn't gone down well with Everton fans, no. finding Liverpool, one of Liverpool's most famous managers. That being said, they did get rid of him rather quickly when they thought there was, uh, you know, he'd gone past his use by. Yeah, exactly. But, I, you, know, you know, I just think that um, if you're an Everton fan and you think that you're finally going to come good and get into, you know, the top six yeah. um, and be a consistent top team. Surely doing that with one of Liverpool's greatest ever managers would be would be great. <laughs> 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 it's a bit like Tevez going so over how he helped your rival, you know. I don't know, I think that'd be great. But it'll be interesting because, you know, he's just been in China, which, you know, I don't know how everyone feels about the Chinese League, but, I mean, I know a lot of people kind of suggest that's where careers go to die. Um, and so he's come back from there. Um, and, you know, he, he did... He, scraped out of relegation a few times at, at Newcastle before that. So it'll be interesting to see how he's progressed as a manager since his days on the Mersey side. Well, I think he's an excellent fit. You know, um, as you say, I mean, Everton have got their, their billionaire owner and he he definitely wants um, European success, whichever trophy that may be, and has... Has stum- told him he's with Everton? Yeah, no, he's yeah. stumped up the cash for it as well. Yeah. So he wants a return. I mean, they're, they're building... Well, they're in the process of building a new stadium that's going to be um, a rival or better than Anfield. Mm-hmm. So they they claim they're the biggest club in, in Merseyside. They always have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, they're doing a lot of uh, positive social work with um, the oh, spot where Goodison Park used yeah. to be as well. Um, I think they're building like older community houses and just doing some community outreach projects there, which is really good as well. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how Benitez goes you know, getting backed because I know one of the biggest complaints he had up on Spine side was, was he, you know, he said Mike Ashley had promised yeah. him X, X amount of pounds plus whatever they raised through transfers and every single transfer window he was there, they had a, a transfer, a positive transfer budget by selling more, <laughs> selling more than they made. So, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. One of those two people is lying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my money would be at Ashley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, the, the first thing he did wrong was listen to Mike Ashley, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now look, there's um, obviously lots and lots happening. We've got lots of player movement, and I think you know until the Euros are over, um, we still haven't seen the last of it. So we'll we'll wait and see with bated breath. Um, talking about the the final now mm. for the. Uh, for the Euros, um, what's your take on, on the final? Well, seeing Italy versus England was a really good time to remember that I'm actually 45th generation Roman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, I think it'll be, yeah, it'll, it'll be a hard-fought game because Italy are a much more attacking team than they have been in recent years. Mm. Um, and they've got just a phenomenal um, number of, 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 of talented players, although, having said that, that's all, um, the left-back is out. I think through injury, yep. mm-hmm. um, hey, and then see, poor bugger. Yeah, and then England have just yeah England have been yeah very very good. I mean that dumb start, dumb start free kick is what the only goal they've conceded all tournament, which yeah, speaks really. volumes to their sort of English defensive to sustainability um, at the tournament. Um, and and yeah. I think Southgate's really got to get a lot of credit because the pressure on him to just go right. We've got all these this abundance of attacking midfielders, let's just get them all onto the pitch at the same time and see what happens. And he's he's almost gone the opposite and gone, look, I know we've got a lot of attacking midfielders, but we don't need to use any of them. Any, you know, 
be defensively solid, that's what wins you in a tournament, yes. and then go and attack from there. And he's done that, you know, with a plum, really. So, you know, his ability to just shrug off criticism, defend his players, and then go out in a way where he just, you know, does what he thinks is best, regardless of what the world is saying to him. I think is yeah is, is commendable. Yeah, and I, I think for him it was a, a personal um, a personal quest to to vanquish the the penalty miss, um, the, the very famous penalty miss. And he, he's now that England's in a final is and his hands. Um, he's he's happy now. His parents can at least pick up the phone without having to think of that in the, in the back <laughs> of their heads. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's also. Um, England have been in six semi-finals in international tournaments in the history, and Gareth Southgate has managed them in two of them. So you know, yeah, and this is the first final since '66. So he's he's done an amazing job, mm. um, and I think a lot of the uh, you know it's, uh, international tournaments, especially when you've got extended squad sizes, it's very very easy to have really disenfranchised group of players when people aren't getting onto the pitch. But you know, Steve Holland came out and said his player of the tournament has been Connor Cody. Not because you know, he hasn't got on the pitch at all, but he said he's been basically a captain in the dressing room and he's been such a positive influence around the squad. Um, and then Reese James was on Twitter the other day saying, you know, talking really excited about, you know, oh, we're in the semi final and someone shot back at him like, you haven't even played. He's like, yeah, there's no iron team, you know, it's a team game. And so, you know, Southgate seems to have, have managed to conjure this sort of really positive team environment. And and you see him with the players who should have got on or whatever, and he's got his arm around at the end of the game. He's they're, they're the first player he goes to, rather than all the ones that are out on the park. And I think that's part of his man management, which has worked really well for them. That players know that they're part of a project and that they they have to fulfil a role when they go on. And that sometimes means not going on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And just being part of that squad um, can be as important as being on the team. Um, but I also think like he's he's been uh, um, reasonably tactically versatile as well. You know he's played three at the back in different systems. He's played four four at the back. He's got a, a system where the players can sort of change from four to three um, mid game, depending on who he's bringing on and then what's happening. And so you know he's got the players very drilled tactically, which is yeah, very impressive in tournament football, where you really just don't get a lot of time, especially given. Um, Man City and Chelsea were both in the Champions League final, so he didn't get most of his players until basically just before the tournament started. Yeah, yeah no, I've I've heard that um, th- that Euro Champions final that uh, a lot of the Chelsea and Man City players in the England squad are, are best mates now because of that experience. Yeah, right. Okay, that's yeah. Well, that's that's powerful. So, um, but it'll be interesting because and, and it'll be interesting to see how he can then get momentum. I, don't, I mean, regardless of what happens Sunday. Sunday night, Monday morning, um, see how he gets that momentum from this championships to the World Cup next year when it's it's, it's mid, mid-season, mid really. Yeah, and I suppose that's the bigger project and I suppose that's the one that the, the teams that haven't made it through to the final, Portugal, Spain, Germany, Holland, are all working towards. Um, you know, the the Euros, as, as good as it is, is not the is not the determination point of the journey. The, the World Cup is. Yeah, it's interesting that, cause, because I agree with you that the, the World Cup is more important than the Euros, but by the same token, I think the Euros are probably a harder competition to play in than mm. the World Cup, because you don't get Panama's, Costa Rica's, and, 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 and you know, nations like that um, involved. You know, Instead, you've got Italy, Spain, France, Denmark, you know, teams that are significantly more robust every single game. Yeah. Um, and, yeah and, but it, like you say, you know, a lot of the teams that have had pretty poor Euros 
are going to be chomping at the bit to get to this World Cup and be like, no, 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 we, you know, we're going to show you what we really are yep. and to come out and, and make a point, especially France. Okay, so finally, Derek, and again, thank you very much for making time available to speak to us. We need a tip for the Copper America, a tip for the Euro, and a tip for the EPL, please. Uh, the Euros are going to be... Uh, I've got to go with Italy. I can't. <laughs> I'm, gonna be, <laughs> I'm not going to leave myself my back England. Um, 58th percent. <laughs> yep, um, and then Argentina for the Copper. Um, I, I mean, maybe just because I, I prefer to see them win because I think Messi deserves an international he title. Does. He does. And um, Liverpool. Liverpool? For, yeah, Liverpool, I think... Given the, this season they're going to have a lot more time between games than they did last season, they're going to work on their game a lot more. Um, they're going to have a backline this year, um, and they've just signed Ibrahim Konate from Leipzig, who is an absolute Easy. monster of a player. Oh, oh yeah, to go with Van Dijk, so that'll be a very formidable backline. Fantastic. As I say, Derek, thank you very much for your time, and we will talk to you soon. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Good you on too, you. Bud. See Ta-da. Yeah, Derek Pollock there, he's, uh, he's an encyclopedia. Oh, legs, isn't, he? isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm trying to throw a few curly ones at him and he just batted no, them back quick no, as he could. He's got all the knowledge there, mate. He's very, very good on, on that. The, you know, mastermind, that would be his... Fantastic. Yeah. We've got a few uh, sweepers to go through and then we'll be back with Matthew Cheeseman. So stay tuned. You're on 107.9 Radio Fremantle's World Football Programme. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages With four great locations around Perth We have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week From social men's, women's or mixed games To A-grade competition, we've got you covered Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. 107.9 FM, your local station. Listen to this muppet. Every week he does this, screaming and shouting at the ref. That's a yellow card, ref. Card him. Yellow card him, ref. How are these kids supposed to learn the game if you don't know the game? He's an animal. Give him a Look at him, the ref. But he gives up his Saturday mornings to do this. Now, was it the right decision? It might have been, it might not have been. Who knows? We all make mistakes. You mug! Would you take this at work? <laughs> okay, thank you. No, just, don't thank me, thank you! Just clear the plan area, please. You ain't got a clue! Alright. You see, Dad's trying to live out his own dreams through his son. Dad, hey, hey. what's the matter with you? That's a suicide! Hey. How's he supposed to learn? Hey. 
if he can't yeah. make his own mistakes. Referee, you're not watching the game, mate. You're watching me. You ain't going to see nothing here. There's no wonder we're losing so many refs when we're having to part with people like Jet the Biscuit here every week. Come on, Steve, hey! You're running about like a chicken with no egg. Liven it up! And it's no wonder thousands of kids give up the game either. We carry on like this. We won't have a game left. Ref! Ref? Some of us need to take a long, hard look at ourselves. Hi, I'm Rose and I play for Mum FC. And sure she does. I um, hope mm -hmm. Rose is listening. I know Penny is. So welcome back to the World Football Program 107.9 FM with me, your host, Hugh Best, and Sean Kelly, the man driving this thing <laughs> with me with the P plates on. Next on the line we have Matthew Cheeseman, who is General Manager of Refereeing at the FA. Not the FA that we all think it is. It's the new rebranding of Football Australia. Are you there, Matt? I am, Huey. Good morning to you. Good morning to Sean. And uh, well Hello, done Matt. on driving the desk today, mate. It's not an easy job. And uh, I, I hear you've graduated to P's already. That's pretty impressive. Well, I'm three for three now with uh, phone in guests. So <laughs> I, I thought yeah. I'll, I'll go past the uh, blindfold and go on to the P's. But, but we are approaching an RBT and I'm, I'm worried <laughs> for him. <laughs> so, well, Matt. Hopefully you're giving me his licence by the end of it, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Matt, your role at the FA, can you tell us about it and what it involves, please? Yeah, sure. So, uh, obviously, like hearing BFA is obviously uh, something new for a lot of people and, and thinking outside of England. But you're right that the uh, uh, Football Federation Australia, as it was known, uh, went through a, a name change uh, earlier uh, in the in the year or late last year. Um, so it's now Football Australia, and, and we're we're having to have that communication issue when everyone says FA, and we're going, oh, England or Australia. <laughs> but anyway, Football Australia it is. Um, and yeah, my role, I've um, I've been full-time at Football Australia now for uh, just under two years and uh, the role has changed uh, dramatically in that time uh, and uh, as much as the landscape of refereeing has, has changed as well uh, and football in general in the country with uh, the unbundling of the leagues and everything from Football Australia means that that has some impact on refereeing. So at the moment, my role is uh, basically overseeing all refereeing activities in the country from grassroots to elite. Uh, we have uh, a dedicated team uh, that looks after the elite side of the game, um, which allows me to focus a lot of energy into the community side of the game, dealing with member federations, um, dealing with uh, any issues they may have at, uh, at their level, uh, as well as um, you know, national tournaments and uh, the progression pathways for referees to get from that grassroots to elite. So just basically a walk in a park for you, isn't it? Well, look, it's uh, it's certainly not a, a, a simple job. It's not an easy job. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely time-consuming, but I think most people know my passion for refereeing, um, and uh, and you know it's something that I'm enjoying immensely. And and I know that it's we've got some really exciting times ahead of us. So I'm I'm very happy to be part of it. Well, some of those exciting times, Matt, is um, as people may or may not know, is one of um, Australia's favourite referees apart from yourself and myself, uh, Jared Gillette has been promoted to the uh, PGMOL or the EPL, as most people would know. Mm. Can you tell us about that, please? 
Yeah, it's a great story, and, and it's one that you know the whole country, from a from a footballing perspective, should should be really proud of. Not just within refereeing. I mean, Jared has has done something that, or, or sorry, is potentially about to do something that no one else has ever done before, and that's to be the first foreigner to referee an English Premier League match, and um, for him to be an Australian as well is a is a huge um, feather in our cap down here. Um, but yeah, Jared's done. Uh, he's done fantastically well since he moved to the UK. Initially moved over there in uh, 2019 yep. for study reasons, um, working uh, at uh, John Moore's University in Liverpool. Uh, he um, has his PhD as well, Jared, so he, he is uh, he's a very educated young man and um, he, he's worked his way through the, the pathway there. He was initially offered a contract um, by the PGMO which is the professional game match officials uh, organisation in the UK. They look after all the referees uh, and assistant referees in the Premier League and the Football League competitions. Um, so not an easy job in itself. Uh, so he was initially offered a contract as part of their Select Group 2 panel, which looks after the Football League matches, so Championship League 1, League 2, uh, and worked his way through that panel very quickly, uh, and so much so that last season he was appointed to referee the semi-final of the Championship playoff between Brentford and Bournemouth yeah. uh, after only being there for, for two years. So a real great achievement for him. And, and yeah, the news that came out uh, last month that he's one of four referees that's been added to the Select Group 1 panel for this season, making him eligible to referee English Premier League matches. And everyone down here um, is uh, obviously eagerly awaiting that first appointment. And as much as COVID won't allow us to travel up there to watch the game, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be cheering him on from, from afar. So I'm going to put my referee's hat on here, uh, Matt. Does that mean he's now eligible for a UEFA FIFA badge or will he still be available for an AFC uh, FIFA badge? Yeah, so when it comes to the international side of things, um, Jared uh, relinquished his position on the, the FIFA panel as an Australian official uh, uh, at the end of 2019. Yep. So he, he um, once he, he left our shores, um, you know, he, he took it upon himself and, and said that, you know, the pathway now is for him to continue his refereeing in the UK and, and it's difficult to, um, you know, hold a FIFA badge in one confederation uh, and referee in another. So we obviously have an example in Australia where we have Ali Reza Fagani from Iran yep. who uh, does officiate in the A-League and uh, still is on the Iranian uh, panel of FIFA match officials. Um, but that's still within AFC, that's right, yeah. uh, within the Asian Football Confederation. So he's still appointed to Asian Champions League matches. In fact, he's in Thailand at the moment um, for the Asian Champions League hub. And uh, that's uh, that's you know easier to manage. But from Jared's perspective... Um, Doing cross-confederation is, is somewhat more difficult, uh, and it's also uh, a feather in his cap again to to actually say that he didn't want to stop someone else from Australia getting an opportunity either um, in, in a spot on the panel. So, uh, you know, that's that's a very gracious gift, I suppose, he left mm. for, for Australian referees on his departure. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, there, is there an opportunity for him to... Uh, progress through to become nominated by England onto their FIFA international panel. Uh, there is, uh, and and it's up to the FA as to what their um, eligibility requirements are and, and whether they you know require someone to be a citizen or, or something before they can be nominated. Every country has their own regulations in that regard. Right. Okay. Now, we've uh, had a few discussions about the Euros and almost everybody wants to know about uh, your opinion on the Sterling penalty decision, but I 
being that I'm in charge of the show at the moment, want to know about your opinion of the Argentina-Ecuador VAR decision. Did you happen to see that? And can you give us your um, discussion points on that particular decision? I did. We've been absolutely blessed with the amount of football that's on at the moment. And I've had <laughs> many, many sleepless nights. Uh, I've, I've done quite a few all-nighters, uh, and uh, I'm still still suffering from it now. Uh, plenty of Red Bull in my fridge at the moment, but the um, and other, other um, energy drinks are available, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the Argentina-Ecuador uh, quarterfinal, it was, it was uh, a really good example of a situation where multiple decisions occur in one situation yeah. and, and and a good example of how to understand how the VAR process works and and I know there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of discussion about VAR as they co- as you know constantly around the world with any sorts of refereeing decisions and VAR just adds to that but uh, in this particular game um, you know this 88th minute I think the score was 2-0 was, uh, Argentina yep 2-0 yep. sorry yep and uh Yes, yeah, so an Ecuador defender had held an Argentinian forward near the edge of the penalty area. Uh, the referee had initially awarded a penalty kick and yep. a yellow card to the defender. And the reason he gave a yellow card was because he believed there was another defender covering uh, and therefore you know, it wasn't an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Now, the discussion of whether um, it's inside the penalty area, if it's, if it's a penalty, then it can't be a red card anyway, is a moot point because it's holding. So when it's a holding offence... Uh, it can still be a red card if a penalty kicks awarded. Um, but this gave the VAR two decisions to review. So yeah. firstly, there was the awarding of the penalty kick and then a possible red card as well. So upon reviewing the footage, the VAR had seen the holding was outside the penalty area, so recommended an on-field review to the referee for them to go across to the screen and have a look at it themselves. Um, being a, a judgmental decision, it's one where the referee you know needs to have the final outcome, whereas... If it's one where it's, you know, it was a player in an offside position or not, that's a factual decision. So there's not necessarily the need for the referee to go and view the incident if it's just a matter of fact, but this is a, an opinion, a judgmental decision. So when the referee saw that the footage showed it was outside the penalty area, free kick was the correct restart. But then the second decision was, okay, well, should it have been a yellow card or a red card? And then, again, looking at the other angles, the referee had seen that that defender who he thought was covering Mm. uh, did not actually have an opportunity to prevent the obvious goal-scoring opportunity, and therefore the yellow card was also changed to a red. So it was a good example of where, you know, the referee's angle on the field, um, you know, and and the quick time that's required to make these decisions and the tightness of the decision as well, because it was minute distance outside the penalty area. Um, and uh, it just showed the, the worth of VAR in that situation to get the decision right uh, and a crucial time and moment in the game. Yeah, it just seems like there's this quest to get the perfect decision every time, and you're never going to get that in this game. Um, like The ball line technology is very good. It's either in or it's out. The whole of the ball has crossed the line or not. Simple. But the... The decisions that referees make in the opinion of et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Kenny Lowe has the, the best statement on it where he said it's a flawed human being passes the responsibility to another flawed human being with multiple camera angles to make another flawed decision. And it, it's... <laughs> wow. <but laughs> Not <you're>, quite. <laughs> well, you know, the, I would imagine that there was, there was at least 11 people on that pitch that completely disagreed with the decision. Oh, as I said to Sean <laughs> earlier, the, the, the looks on the Ecuadorian faces, I mean, they were... Around the uh, the referee going, no, 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 yeah. it's no pen, it's no pen. I'm going, and I was looking at it going, don't, don't, boys, because you don't know what you, you're actually asking for here. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I suppose the thing yeah. is, it, it, this all leads into another part of the game as well, you know, and uh, obviously, like, the players on the pitch are unhappy, um, and I suppose, look, there's, 
people go down this line of the, the rugby game where if you even say hello to the referee, you're off, um, to, to the other part of the game where you should be allowed to at least have a reasonable discussion with the referee. And I think from a fan's perspective, you know, I love it when the shed goes, I'll sing and I'll shout and I will abuse the referee. <laughs> it is part of the magic of the game. But as, it, as everything, there's always people take it too far. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think it's it's uh, a situation that we know as match officials in in any sport, really. And I've been lucky enough to officiate a number of different sports, and and it's it's not different in any other sport. There's just different degrees of it. Yeah. Uh, is that there there is a um, you know a, a level of of dealing within the society that you know you're you're there to do a job, and we'll we'll say what we want to ensure that the job is favourable to our side. Um, you know, that's that's one way to look at it, but the um, you know, if you if you were to go into someone's workplace and abuse them uh, like what match officials cop uh, in any sport, um, you know, you'd probably be arrested. So, you know, there's there's that side of it that I think there's a, a public um, uh, public view on on match officials and and whether you look at the correctness of decisions or not. But the biggest thing for me is that um, you know I'm not so much worried about our referees at the top level yeah. who are. Conditioned to to you know hearing these sorts of things and you know even myself personally when I was active that you know those sorts of comments never really bothered me one bit but it's the you know the thirteen year old referees the fourteen year old referees that are starting out um, and you know that that's where it becomes really difficult we have a, a tough job in our game um, everyone plays a role in the game to ensure that everyone is able to enjoy it and whether that be players whether that be coaches whether that be match officials. Uh, or your fellow spectators, um, you know, we've seen plenty of players who have stopped playing because of uh, either comments they receive on the sideline or um, because they have too much pressure put on them by friends, family, coaching, whatever it might be. Uh, and match officials are no different in that regard. And, and you know, they, they will obviously uh, cop more than, than anyone else will. And, and mm. when you see the 13, 14-year-old referees who, you know, come in, think this is a great way to enjoy the game, great way to to earn a little bit of pocket money as well, perhaps, and then we lose them after six months. Um, and this is not something that is unique uh, to Western Australia either. It's uh, it's obviously, a, 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 for want of a better phrase, a global pandemic around the mm. world. Uh, and um, I think if I if I look at um, some of the comments I've had from other member federations this year as well, that you know the suspension of football in the country and COVID and everything else hasn't hasn't helped in that regard because people have got a lot of pent-up anger um, uh, through lockdowns and everything else. And uh, when football resumed, there did seem to be a bit of a spike in some areas of the country uh, of abuse towards match officials. And again, not just unique to our sport. So I think if if I could, you know, ask anything of of everyone involved in the sport is, is, you know, we heard the the, the ads from the FA, the English FA, that yep. played just before I came on with Ray Winston and, and talk about respect. And respect's not just about match officials, it's about everyone involved in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the message from Football Australia is just if, if everyone can respect each other's roles in the game, um, then obviously the game will be a lot more enjoyable for each other and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see the game thrive again. Yep, I'll put yeah. that sweeper on just for you there, Matt. Now, in WA, we used to have the uh, the cadet referee wearing a different coloured uh, uniform. Is is that something that you're looking at at a, uh, a national level, or how how can we how can we help and and retain these junior referees? Yeah, it's it's something that has been utilised by various member federations around the country. Um, so we have different methods of it being used. Some of them will have armbands, some will have different coloured shirts. 
and I think it's you know it's an initiative that was driven uh, a, a long time ago by a lot of um, government department of sport and recreations, and, and I know the DSR in WA was very active uh, with what they called the coloured shirt program back in. Uh, you know, we're talking mm. 15 years yeah, ago, it was, potentially. Yeah. Um, shows our and, age, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> and, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that shows I can remember it. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the the theory behind it of, of trying to show someone, look, you know, and I am new or I'm still learning, um, you know, go easy on me. And, and as much as that seems like a good statement and it's a good sentiment to have, and it does work in, in, other, in, in various locations, but um, it's also that education piece to... Um, to other people around the place that just because someone isn't wearing a coloured shirt or an armband yeah. or whatever the, the technique is, is that that doesn't give you carte blanche yeah. right to abuse them. Exactly, um, and that's, so. how, that's how I feel about it. And I think the, the other thing is with these young referees, it's about building in resilience. Um, and, mm. you know, they are, the, they are the main person in the game and they do have the answer sitting in their top pocket um, and they can curb anything that's happening. And I know I've seen a couple of very good refs. You, you and Alex Novatsis tend to talk a lot to players as well, which helps. And, and some of that is if you talk to me like that again, you will mm. be marching. And it's just a very simple thing to tell the bloke, if you do it again, you're gone. And, and then you have to follow through. And then people get upset about the you know the pop up toaster thing, but it's the the referee who's the conductor of the game, and he's conducting the language. If he lets it go, then he can't complain that he's being abused because I've now set a very low standard. If you set a high too high a standard, but then you you just got to find that balance. You know, I mean, I had my 13, 14 year old boy um, referee the Masters game, and he sent off Robbie Dunn and, and Robbie Zabeker. And don't Boy. think he, I don't think they didn't tell him. But, but <laughs> it, brave man. Well, no, he'd already told. He'd already told them. If you talk to me like that, you're going off. And they did, so they went off. Yeah. Um, and he didn't care who they were or where they were. He was the man in charge of that game right then. And and that's you know again building that that resilience within a player uh, or a referee. Yeah, I think both of us have refereed Robbie Dunn, and uh, there's not a lot you can say to that man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a good point, Sean, that you you have a, a situation where there's going to be some referees who are more confident than others, some that have better communication skills, and a lot of that does come with um, with time and experience, no mm. different to a player picking up technical ability and tactical knowledge and all that sort of stuff. And I think, you know, that that's where those formative years of a referee, that the, they are crucial for mm. people to support them. Yeah. And as much as the member federations and, and, and Football Australia will, will be able to provide you know, various levels of support, um, you know, the, the crucial aspect of whether someone stays uh, or leaves is what happens on match day. Yeah. And you know, we can't have people at every single match um, you know, monitoring supporters, monitoring clubs, monitoring behaviour. It's it's absolutely impossible to cover every single match in Australia in that in that essence, and and I think you know there's there's a lot of good clubs out there that do the right thing. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And you know when I was coming through in, in Perth, um, you know there was certainly plenty of clubs that that provided a lot of support, um, and I saw that continue through my time working at Football West as well. And, and you know those clubs are to be commended. That's not to say there's any clubs that do the opposite and try to abuse referees, but. Um, I think we can all do a little bit more uh, in the game, uh, you know, and, and ensure that you know the the um, behaviour you you walk past is the behaviour you accept. Yep. Yeah, and that's, that's a mantra that applies in in so many aspects of life. Yep. Uh, and you know, it is it's one thing that has always been a concern with regards to referee retention rates and and effectively you know that impacts recruitment rates as well. But um, look, that's not to say that. Um, 
as I said, there aren't a lot of good people out there, and, and I think uh, you know Football West over the years, um, you know, since I've departed, have, have continued to do some great work in that space, and, and hopefully we'll see a lot more of that to come. Okay, Matt, with your role, are you in any uh, position to to influence some of the the tweaks or changes in the laws of the game? Uh, do you have a, a, a the bat line to the IFAB or, or anything like that? I don't know about a bat line, um, but we certainly, um, as a uh, member association within FIFA, do have the ability to um, suggest potential changes to the laws of the game. So the way that the International Football Association Board, which, as you said, is the IFAB, the the governing body of the laws of football, um, the way that that is structured is that the four home nations, being Mm. England, Scotland, uh, Wales and Northern Ireland, uh, plus FIFA are the members of uh, the IFAB. Now, um, that's obviously based on historical purposes and, and, and the home nations being the original um, you know, guardians of, of you know, the laws of the game of football when they first came through in the 1860s. Yep. Um, so from that end, anyone can, any of the member associations, uh, the 211 member associations from uh, FIFA's uh, membership can provide uh, you know, feedback or suggestions to FIFA um, with regards to changes to the laws of the game or changes to regulations, etc. Um, so we do have that ability. Uh, it's, it's not something that, um, you know, you, you, you don't see it happen a lot because the laws generally, as much as people can't believe it, the laws don't change a lot. It's the interpretation yeah, of right. the laws, etc. So, and that's borne out through, um, you know, seeing things play out in matches. And, and it's very, very similar to um, common law in the fact that, you know, the law changes based on incidents that occur and, and changes of interpretations to the law. So, um, you know, we've, we've had a few rewrites in the last 10 years uh, of the laws, but before that they hadn't been touched for about 40 years. Um, and I think you'll find it may be similar moving forward is that there may be a couple more tweaks in the coming years um, to, to try and clear up some of the issues that have occurred with the, the past rewrites. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to see a much more stable set of laws uh, that everyone can understand and enjoy moving forward. Excellent. Because, well, I mean, one of the things that Sean and I spoke about off-air was with this tournament play, with the two major confederation championships happening, they have two completely different ways of um, <coughs> coming to a, a final result. So the Copa America <coughs> goes straight to kicks from the penalty mark, whereas the Euros are going extra time and then maybe kicks from the penalty mark. With that <coughs> in mind, can, can we see maybe a return to the ABBA Taking, <laughs> taking those, I mean, I, you know, I, I thought that was an excellent way to go about it because golden the, goal. Well, 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 golden goal. We spoke about golden goal and silver goal as well. But one of the um, criticisms of the kicks from the penalty mark is that the team that that takes the first kick, and obviously it's from the from the toss of a coin, so it, it, it's not uh, predetermined, uh, has a perceived advantage when it comes to deciding the game in that fashion. Depends whether it goes in or out. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's interesting how, you know, you do look at football does provide with many different options as to how to determine the winner of a match when, you know, when it is a draw and, and uh, you know, it goes into a knockout phase. And um, you're right that, you know, the decisions of Copper America and Conmebol to, to decide to go straight for uh, kicks to the penalty mark, you know, UEFA go to extra time. Um, we don't have 
and haven't had since 2004, I think yeah. it was, Golden Goal. I loved it. Uh, and Silver Goal, as it was back then as yeah. well. Um, so that's, that's died a death. We don't have the uh, the 35-yard shootouts of the MLS <laughs> trials back in the 90s. So there's been a lot of different things that have been tried and tested over the years. Um, you mentioned the ABBA, the, you know, the ABBA, have a principle for penalty kicks. Uh, it didn't originate from Sweden, but it was a <laughs> um, uh, a format which they trialled, and, and we trialled it here yeah. in uh, the FFA Cup from memory uh, going back a few years ago. Correct, yep. Um, but ultimately, all the studies they did around the world with that found that it, it made no difference uh, as to um, the pressures or, or the outcomes uh, and, and the actual... Um, mechanisms of it, I think the, the preference from everyone was just to go back to the simple, um, you know, ABAB format, uh, which we see and, and have had for, you know, a, a very, very long time. And, and you know, yep, penalty kicks, kicks from the penalty markets, it's part of the game. It's, uh, it's a pressure. Um, and, you know, we see other sports as well have those sorts of mechanisms. Hockey, um, you know, has, has it and has had it for a long time. Um, you know, there's always going to be debate about what's the best way to win the match, and um, quite simply, it's score more than the opposition. <laughs> mm. Oh, come on, it can't be that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I say that as a referee, so you know, uh, any game that's done in 90 minutes is, is a is a very happy game for me. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and how are you coping over there with the, the lockdown in Sydney? Very different to to being here. Yeah, look, I, I managed to get back to Perth uh, for the first time in two years yep. a few months ago uh, and, and see the family for the, for the first time in a long time, which was very nice. Um, and uh, we've now just finished three weeks of lockdown here and potentially another three or so to go, I reckon. I don't think it's going to end at the end of next week, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but look, you know, it's... Yeah. It is what it is, and, and uh, you know the message that if I could say anything to everyone is is just um, you know stay safe and and be aware and and do the right thing because ultimately if we all if we all do the right thing then um, we'll get out of this uh, these lockdowns and and everything as soon as possible and football can start to return to normal again as well. Um, obviously, we've had a very difficult time uh, on the national landscape with uh, with football and travel and I heard Terry talking about being flexible yep. uh, at the start of the show and, um, you know, we've had many of our referees who have done quarantine and isolation after appointments because of, you know, things that they've got caught up in while they've gone to a game and, um, you know, they, they've, yep. they've been living a sheltered life for the safety of the National League as well and I know that a lot of um, players and, and referees at grassroots level have all been doing the same thing. So, uh, and on yeah, the plus thank you side, to everyone. And on the plus side, mate, gives you plenty of time to practice for FM Works, doesn't it? Well, look, I mean, uh, you know, I, I certainly have played a lot of football manager in the last <laughs> two years. Um, Only is, two years, mate? Game. Come on, mate. Uh, well, look, it's, it's, let's, yeah, over, over the last uh, 22 years. Um, <laughs> Thank you. The last two years, I've certainly, certainly seen a lot more action in that game. Uh, yeah. But, look, it's, everyone finds their, their relief in uh, in these sorts of times. And, uh, look, I mean, there's, uh, there's no shock. Anyone who sees my Twitter bio says that I'm a football manager addict, and, yep. and that's... Uh, that's my belief. And who are you uh, managing at the moment, life. mate? Uh, at the moment, I'm managing SC Ballsers from Liechtenstein, who play in the Swiss League. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, I've, take, I've got Rochdale into the uh, into the Premier League, so I'm doing quite well. It just goes oh, to show yeah, there's so many ways of enjoying this game, though. That's the thing. <laughs> there is. Yeah. There is. The virtual world provides uh, an escape from reality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good one. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Matthew, and uh, being one of my f- first guests behind the desk i certainly do appreciate you and keep up the good work at the fa in your role as general manager of refereeing 
No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the invite, guys. And again, um, to everyone back home, uh, stay safe and stay healthy. You don't want to say hi to your mum? Uh, I spoke to her yesterday, ah. but uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for that, Rove. <laughs> 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 All right, no worries. Thank you again, Matthew. Ta-da. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, Matthew Cheeseman, um, wonderful guest. You got two chocolates, buttons. Yeah, that's it. That's a lot better without the. Sorry, uh, yep, I'm yep. back onto the L's. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's fine. Look, um, <laughs> cheesy top bloke all round. Um, I still will abuse him as a referee, but you know that's how we go. Uh, he's a lovely man, and uh, as I said, I really do appreciate his time. He uh, had to get permission from the FA management for him to come onto this show, which uh, suggests exactly how high up he has come. Mm. So all those that remember him as a. Um, as a scrawny, red-headed, whistle-blowing, <laughs> uh, I was going to use a, a word there, uh, referee, yeah. uh, look where he is now. This is where, as you say, Sean, the pathways of this game can take you almost everywhere. Absolutely. No, it's a, a game that gives in all directions. That's it. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back after that with Tommy Dorman to talk all things NPL men and women. So stay with us on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle. Hi, I'm Ed Eleni, Football West Referee Manager. All the news on the local game coming up next on the World Football Programme. Refing football. Is it having the best seat in the house? Or is it about your love for the game? Is it the best weekend job you'll ever have? Or your favourite way to keep fit. Find out what refing football means to you. Register at myfootballclub.com.au Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron, a fourth generation family business. We specialise in custom builds for gates, security enclosures and front fences. Good old fashioned family business. Right Rose? Right Mum. See our gallery at auswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Or speak to a real person on 9258 6822. Station sponsor. Welcome back to 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle, the World Football Program. So, Sean. Yes. NPL coming up. What are you looking forward to? Um, I know lots of good games out there. I think Armadale Rocky may have some flavour to it. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Armadale at home. So, you know, I would think that Armadale are, are comfortable in that one, but we'll see. After last week, they beat Sorrento, uh, looking good. Gwell up versus Balcatta. 
Um, Coburn with the glory, and I think you know the glory are looking very good at the moment. And I think you know he, he said they won three games on on the trot. This could be four. ECU play Sorrento, so a Northern Derby there, and Bayswater versus Perth. Um, that's going to be a good one as well because uh, both of them. Well, Bayswater underachieving. Perth need to get the points if they're going to ch- challenge Athena. And Inglewood are playing Athena. Uh, yep. So on the line we have Tommy Dolman, our resident expert for all things uh, NPL. Can you hear me, Tommy? I can hear you. How are you, fellas? Oh, I Good, am still, still sweating bullets, but that's four for four, so I might get that P-plate back on again. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, mate? So you've just uh, heard Sean go through the, the the fixture list. What takes your fancy there? Oh, and where would you be uh, this afternoon? Are you going to go to one of those games? Uh, I'm, so I'm doing the commentary on Inglewood and Floriot. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game, actually. Those, these two teams always play in uh, high-scoring matches. Uh, not, not necessarily the last couple. Um, Inglewood had a... Sorry, Floriot had a comfortable 2-0 win in the last game. But we've had a 4-4 and we've, we've had all sorts of, of score lines over the years between these two teams. And It'll be a really interesting game because Florida are on back-to-back defeats now, and that that margin for Perth has been cut to four points at the top of the league. So, especially with the uh, State Cup final against DCU coming up next week, and Florida are really going to need to... I think they're going to want to go into the, the Cup final, obviously, off the back of a win and not off the back of three straight defeats because that completely changes the dynamic if it does. So, yeah. um, it's a fascinating game for that reason. Do, do you think, though... That- today. Do you think though that the final's been a bit of a distraction for them? It seems that this tail off in their performance has gone since they've made the final. Um, is that in the back of players' minds? Um, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I mean, about that. I think they caught Glory on a good day. That was the, the first loss that they had. Yeah. Glory were excellent that game, as you, as you touched on before. They've been in pretty good form, and um, that, that was a, a game where Dean Evans uh, sadly went off injured as well. He, I believe he's got a serious injury, and I'm not sure if we'll. we'll now, so that may have knocked the players on the day. You never know. And then, and then last weekend, the game against Perth, where they went down by a goal to nil, they actually didn't play too badly. They had a couple of good chances to at least take the lead and to at least equalise, even if they weren't necessarily um, the best team on the day or deserved to win. They were definitely in the game, and they were missing Chris Aldaris and Jarrod Rezai, who was sent off in that game against Glory. So. They may get a couple back today, and um, they'll be hoping to settle against an Inglewood team who are obviously uh, pushing for that top four in, in what's looking like a really exciting race there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and other good games around. I mean, Rockingham now, desperate for points, change of manager. Um, they're away to Armadale, who are never easy to beat on their home on their home turf. Yeah, and, and uh, I did listen in last week when you when you spoke to John, and uh, and I, I, I rate John Harley as a coach. Um, taking head, 
coaching duties with um, Goran Stajic departing a couple of weeks ago. So it'll be interesting to see whether Rockingham respond for the new uh, ideas and uh, and whether they can give Armadale a game. But a win for them would suddenly Armadale sorry would suddenly move them possibly in front of distance to the top four, depending on results elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Look, if uh, Inglewood get beat by Floriot, then that puts them up in the sixth at least. So yeah, it's uh, it's all there for them. Um, we talked about the glory there away to Coburn. Um, never an easy game when, when you're playing at Coburn. <laughs> no, not at all. And Coburn has confused me a bit this year because I've, I've, I've watched most of the games, um, obviously, when I do my raps and, and, and during the week, even if um, even if I, I do sort of skip ahead occasionally. And Coburn have been in a lot of those games that they've played in. So for them to be down where they are. I think particularly early in the season, they lost Thor Jock, who went over to Victoria. Yeah. And, and they didn't quite have that firepower up front. And I think that cost them in a lot of their earlier games this season. And, and they dropped some points that maybe they'll 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 regret dropping um, in, in as the season unfolds. But um, I, I think Scotty Miller's team have been playing fairly well on the whole. They're probably not as good as they were last season when they were pushing the likes of Florian and DCU for the title. But... They certainly, in my opinion, in a slightly false position down there. And as we've touched on before, the glory are playing really well. They they seem to have a formula at the moment where they're, they're full of confidence. And I think I said this on, on another show that I think we remember the glory in previous years. It's a little bit kamikaze. They, they've <laughs> lost a lot of games 5-3, 5-2, one game 4-2. And they're, they're goals for and goals against column, even though it's a, probably a minorly significant thing, is, is a lot more controlled. And that reflects Oh, without a doubt. Um, ECU hosts Sorrento. Again, Sorrento always tough, although they'll be minus their goalkeeper after a, a, a slight trip the other in the last game out against Armadale. Yeah, the, uh, the chips and gravy derby up there, um, the, uh, <laughs> the old favourite. So, look, um, again, it's a big game. It's a cracking game of weekend of games this weekend, as, you touched, as Sean touched on before, because... Uh, these two teams are third and fourth, and with the glory, with Inglewood um, lurking in behind, um, the loser of this game suddenly, well, they may end up outside of the, the fourth by the end of the day, and, and they're looking sort of vulnerable. So um, both of those teams had really good starts to the season and looked as though they were going to be um, comfortably in that top four and in control of their own destiny, but some um, some indifferent results in recent weeks sort of brought them... Um, Back a little bit. I, I was yeah. a little bit surprised to see that ECU had lost uh, is it three of their last four games. Mm. So again, a little bit like Florida, they're going to want to get a win to go into the the cup the, the cup final next week, feeling as good as possible. Yeah, I think both of them lost to Armadale as well, which I suppose is like that reversal in form we were talking about. Um, Gwellup and Balcata. Um, Gwellup again. Um, to do great things this season after after a brilliant first season in the NPL, seemed to have been found out a bit. Quite confusing, but the, the reality is, is that, that that race to the top four still 
still very tight. And, I mean, I think it's probably a must-win game for Balcatta if they do want to keep their outside hopes alive. But for Gwellup, they've certainly got the talent with the likes of Gustavo Marilanda, uh, with Paul Zimmerino, Hazani Sinclair. But if they can just get a couple of wins in a row, uh, which clearly may not be as far as it seems given the amount of draws they've had, then there's no reason why they can't win three or four games and really give themselves a chance to shake up that final. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a very close league. You, between third and eighth, you've got five points. It's Or six points. It's nothing, really. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's what makes... That's, that's half the reason why the competition's so exciting. And I think it was one of those things that everybody sort of put their focus to once... Uh, Florida had been 10 points clear a couple of weeks ago, but their back-to-back defeats have suddenly uh, opened up the title race as well. So there's plenty of uh, plenty of areas of the league to, to put your attention on going into the final week of the season. And, and obviously we've got Cup Final Day next weekend as well, so that'll be a, a nice chance maybe for some teams to refresh as well mm. and do some extra training um, with the other teams in action for Cup Final weekend. Yep, with, with that in mind, another uh, very exciting league is the NPLW. We've got uh, Redbacks versus Mum, Balcatta versus Fremantle City, Subiaco AFC versus Perth FC, and the NTC versus Curtin. What takes your fancy in that one? I would have thought the rematch of the semi final between Mum and Redbacks would be very tasty. Mm. It's a bit of a quirk of the fixture. Yeah. We, we had we had Mum FC and the Redbacks in the semi final, and we also had Balcatta and Fremantle in the semi final yep. on Wednesday night. Unbelievable! They, they, they meet again in the league, so yeah, what are the odds of that? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to do the, a lot of the Murdoch University and Melville Redbacks games in the first couple of years at the MPLW, and, and the experienced players that are on show. Um, it's just a really high standard of football. Yep. The, the quality of the games, the players—you know—they—they—they they, they know what they're doing out there, and they—and they're very—they're very sharp. And, and it's quite fascinating to watch tactically as well, in terms of, of the way that these teams sort of structure themselves um, for these for these bigger games and, and and bigger challenges. Because I think in seasons gone by in the women's um, Premier League uh, in years before the MPLW, mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't as consumed with it back then as I was now, but there, there, there seems to be a lot more larger score lines. So yeah, there was. These tighter, these tighter games make, um, make for really good sort of um, advertising for women's football here in WA, I think. And mm. Yeah, the um, obviously that was a 5-2 win for, for, Murdoch, for Murdoch University Melville after extra time on Wednesday night. Um, Balcada got the win 2-0 over Fremantle City with Christy Astor from Boston Yangi scoring there, so those two will face off in the final next week, and in terms of the league game on Sunday, uh, Sean will be doing that one, The uh, Sean Fry will be doing that game, so, um, but yeah, I'm a little bit jealous of him, actually, because that should be absolutely jealous of, but uh, yeah, I'm expecting, I'm expecting another high-quality fixture, and uh, yeah, especially with both teams playing 120 minutes during the week, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> yeah, how they both go. And then to rock up four days later and go, oh, let's do it again! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Now, with the podcast, um, obviously yourself and Sean do commentary. Um, we got any other people, up and coming commentators? Ah, it's just me and Sean at the moment yeah. who, who do them. Because so the I've seen a few of the games, and depending on which ones you go to, um, particularly the State League, but also some of the NPL games, um, they, they need to move the microphone away from the coaches. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, well I. I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? It's just about where the where the where the position is at the, yeah. at the time. But, but I suppose if, 
like well that's what i'm saying though <laughs> if you've got the commentary team working there then what happens is that that all gets diluted away and you don't hear any of it really um but yeah it's, it's been interesting mm. i think in a couple of games that's been the major focus rather than the uh the, the actual yeah. things that happened in the game. And that's the fun thing I've been watching with the, the Copa America because there is no crowds uh, in, in the Brazil tournament at the moment that uh, if you are a fluent Spanish speaker, the microphone's right next to the coaches as well. So you can hear tactically and, and you know, obviously some more colourful language if you can understand the language. It's quite uh, quite bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was something that we were kind of exposed to um, when... Premier League and, and all the European competitions came back after mm. the uh, the COVID shutdown last year, wasn't it? And it was a bit of an eye opener because um, we we kind of almost just take the crowd noise for, for granted when we when we watch <laughs> it. And I know they they tube it in a little bit now, and some of it sounds a little bit nasty. Um, and there's cheers that are five seconds on delay on so on and so yeah. forth. But, um, but but yeah, it was a bit of an eye opener, like you say, and to hear the um, colourful language, but also some tactical insight. I think. Whilst obviously we prefer to hear that natural crowd sound because obviously when you're watching the games of the Euros, for example, and you hear that response, it really adds to the colour of the game, and we'd obviously much prefer that. But for a little as, as an that entertainment, way, it's quite interesting. Yeah, as entertainment, it certainly does. But I, I was always crowd noise off person myself because I like to actually hear the players talking on the park, and it changed my opinion of some players because you thought that they were, you know, leaders on the park and they were very quiet, and then you heard others that were doing all of the talking, and it's it's interesting from that perspective. Yeah, and it really highlights. I suppose it highlights who the leaders are, doesn't it? More mm. than anything, I mean, you, I mean, I suppose, I mean. I mean, I'm sure you boys have been to a few of the local games as well, and there's always somebody in one of the teams talking, whether it's the centre-back, the centre-midfield, or the mm-hmm. goalkeeper, and there's always someone um, communicating, and, and you get to hear that at the local games anyway, but when you hear it at, at, at that higher level, it's um, it's quite fascinating, because mm. you, I think we just assume that there's going to be less effing and jeffing at senior level, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 uh, and, and it's going to be all a little bit more controlled and... The other thing I have learned from that, and the referees should take from this, it seems to me that the two perfect vantage points for um, a referee would be in one of those dugouts or, or in the goal mouth because both of those have very strong opinions on what's happened, you know, 50, 60 metres away, even 100 metres away. They can clearly oh, see yeah. what, the, what the call was, you know, from the goal <laughs> line. So I think that the referees have got their positioning all wrong. Well, they trialled, um, they trialled those officials behind the goal, didn't they, in the Champions yeah. League a few years ago, didn't they? And uh, they, they, they disappeared fairly quickly. Oh, yeah. I'm, not sure. I'm not sure what happened there. Well, I, I can tell you, you know, if, you, if you've got an hour or 17, I can tell you exactly what happened there. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I've, I've got time, but uh, I'm not sure the same. Yeah. Very, very failed experiment. Yeah, I know, look at it. I just find it interesting that that's that the noise becomes then the focus of the game rather than the game. And I think you know you and Sean do a fantastic job with the commentaries. Mm. And and again, if you've got people that are looking to go that direction, I suppose is there a, an avenue for them to step into it? Because there must be people out there that want to commentate. Oh, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I was, I was lucky. I mean, I'm, from my point of view, I was always doing a lot of the writing, and it was just something yeah. I was and gave it a go and, and that's just and that's just how it's gone for me so mm. yeah it's, it's like it's just how it is isn't it I'm, I'm sure 
Oh, look, one, one of my favourites was a was a rather excitable Irishman who, when he the more excited he got, the more unintelligible he got. But then I'm of Irish stock, so I understood every word. But you know, you, you can't fault people for taking taking on and having a go. But I think it's a it's another way of selling the game and promoting the game. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, some people some people do like to have, some people don't like to list to have commentary in the background when they're watching the game. Other people do. That's just that's just how it is. But I think if you can be informed in, in some sort of way in, in, in terms of what's what's happening at the game, I think that's always something that's that's beneficial to the viewer at least, or at least to the the, the, the TV viewer anyway. Yeah. So um, you take the Simon Hill approach. You've got massive pages of notes on every player and little anecdotes, and or you just cuff it. Um, no, I do keep I do keep information, and I, I think that's what that's what helped me over the last um, few years of doing it. You, you can sort of fall back on it. You, you're almost free when when you're doing. Uh, I, I did the Florida and Perth Glory game a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm doing the Inglewood Florida game today, and having sort of done those notes for the Glory Florida game, that, that helps me almost in my preparation for, for, for today's game. Yes. Yeah. It's something that's still relatively fresh, so it's important to, to still sort of just... I think I think it, it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because a lot of these players are players that you don't come across often, and um, the, the, the squad change so frequently, so it does take a period of time to sort of build that base of, of who the players are and what positions they play and what clubs they're at, and, and sometimes just on the prep on a player and they've, they've moved during the week and you don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that's just, that's just the level that we're at. But I think, I think at this level, you know, you try and gather as much information as you can. You try to ask as many questions um, as you can from people at clubs. Hopefully they give you the information, you collate it, and then you do the best that you can to sort of communicate that back. And, and there's naturally going to be the odd mistake in terms of the player's scored a goal more or less, a goal less yeah. or an appearance more or less where you've got the substitutes mixed up in some way. But that's just how it is. And, 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 uh, and yeah, hopefully it, uh, hopefully it comes across as, um, as, as clear in some sort of way. Oh, things great. Um, you've got the, the cup final coming up next week. Um, yeah, you're all prepared for that. Uh, oh, I've got a game to do today first, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, but yeah, I'll, I'll start ramping that up uh, early next week. In terms of, there's, the four, there's four games being played next week. I'm not sure how many of those will be commentary games. There's obviously the the 18s. I think that's Subiaco versus Bayswater yeah. uh, under 18s. There's the 20s, which is Sorrento versus Bayswater. Yep. Um, and then the women's is at three o'clock. Mum um, FC and Balcada, and then the men's final is uh, obviously EC Dringloff and Chloe. And I think that's 5.30 kick off all those games at Inglewood Stadium. Yeah, I would imagine the, the top two would both be com- a commentary game, um, certainly deserving of it. Um, I suppose you, you've got an opinion about the Euros tonight? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose so. I mean, obviously, I'm, I've, I've got English roots. I was born over there. Um, so I, I'd obviously love to see England win and go and do it um, and get up. But I suppose speaking with a neutral hat on, I, I think it's just going to be a fascinating game. I think the likes of you've got Chiellini and Benucci mm. in the back for Italy who are, who are going to be absolute pillars and their experience is going to be crucial to keeping uh, England out. Um, I, I, I'd like to see Sterling come in and play a bit more 
centrally alongside Kane to try and maybe move those defenders around a little bit more. Yeah. That, that would be something I think would work. Um, and then just and the other thing I suppose is the midfield. I mean, Jorginho is such a controlling player in that midfield for Italy, and um, I'd, I'd love to see Rice and Phillips really get in into the face of Jorginho earlier and press him and try and just knock Italy off that rhythm because Barella with uh, Verratti, they've just got such um, talent in there, and I think you've got to try and rock them early and, and not sit off and let Italy get too much of it. And I think early. that that is Rice's normal game. I think Southgate's kind of choked him a bit. Um, haven't seen him do what he does at West Ham, and and you know those rampaging runs and and. Yeah, well, that's what he does, though. He's a ball winner. You <laughs> I, was, know? I thought you were going to say lose. No. <laughs> uh, we're, not, <laughs> we're not West Brom. Um, oh. <laughs> it's West Ham. We're not West Brom, mate. So, um, but, no, he, that's what, his role with West Ham is to do that, and, and he, he does like nothing better than roughing up the other team's playmaker and, and getting in there and winning the ball, and, and that's really what we've, we've got to be doing, and I think that's the, you know, just let the players play for the final, and yep. I think, you know, It'll be whoever wins will be the rightful yeah. champion. And in the Copa America, Tom, who have you got? Argentina or Brazil? Uh, I think my heart says uh, Argentina, Argentina for the messy factor, but Brazil, have, uh, Brazil are playing really well at the moment, and um, I don't think Neymar's ever won a senior trophy with, with Brazil either. No, so that, that'll be. That, uh, he won the Olympics. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I think Messi won the Olympics as well, didn't he? So and then apparently that doesn't count fun. for anything. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think I think I think um, I think the Olympics definitely. Oh, I do as well. Yeah. Of, um, esteem. I mean, uh, even the uh, you look at the even the basketball the team Team US. Yeah. LeBron James. They all they all hold their gold medals in in those teams. So I think uh, I think it's definitely important. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Tommy. Uh, we certainly do appreciate that. And all those that are listening can find Tom's work at uh, Football West or can see him on the YouTubes. Uh, well, not see, you can yeah. certainly hear him. Uh, yeah, look, thank you very much for what you do, Tommy. It's, yeah, uh, it, it's a brilliant service and uh, adds to the flavour of the game, mate. Yeah. All right, good on you. Thanks, Tom. We'll talk to you soon. Ta-da. Yeah, a little bit robotised there at the end. Um, atmospherics playing up with the phone line. Oh, well, I'm glad you said atmospherics. It probably was me, but anyway. No, no. <laughs> so that's uh, we've quickly come to the end of the show. So I'll have to get a towel to uh, clean up this uh, pool of sweat just by my feet. But before we do that, we'd like to thank Perth Glory's Terry McFlynn, uh, Derek Pollock for his uh, EPL uh, insights. Matthew Cheeseman, what a wonderful chat that was about all things refereeing. And you know that's uh, close to my heart, almost closer than Subutio. And as you just heard, Tom Dolman there from Football West talking all things NPL. Sean, final comment. Who do you think's winning tonight? Oh, well, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, tomorrow night, tomorrow sorry. Night. No, look, part says England. England. And who have you got for the copper? Um. Head says Brazil, heart says Argentina. Everybody does that. I've got yeah. my Brazil shirt on. I didn't think it was any uh, any contest. You know, a one-man team's not going to beat a team of men. <laughs> <laughs> unless, that, unless that man is messy. Unless he is, that yeah, man is messy. He does walk on water. I mean, it's just, <laughs> look, it'd be, it'd be a fascinating competition no matter who wins. Um, those When you see the South American teams go, um, it's a, a really good 
good yep. quality game. And again, not giving any uh, plug to any particular people, but if you want to watch that and you don't have a particular telephone uh, service, you can see it live if you go to Optus. So the Euros final will be on tomorrow night free of charge, and I'm pretty sure that the Copper America tomorrow morning will be free of charge on that same streaming service. We'll give it a so go anyway. That's it. <laughs> Sean, but look, I think we, we often decry the lack of football and the publicity yep. around football and, and backing of it. I think Optus will be to be commended. They, they put mm. this out free where they could have charged Optimum for it, given yep. us one-off deals, five or whatever. They haven't. They've given it to the public. Good on them. Good on them. Sean, thank you very much for your time and uh, and getting me through this. Penny, thank you very much for putting me under the pump. really do appreciate that. And uh, we will see you all next week on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle's The World Football Program. Ta-da, everyone. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.